Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Have you ever felt like that your life is controlled by the temperament of another? You can just think about your parents. Maybe the mood that they were in that day affected you. Or, or even your, your children. Your, your children can be very moody and temperamental and ruin your day. I know they do mine. Um. <laughs> the same holds true in marriage where you feel like the emotional state of your spouse kind of rules and governs your life. If they're cranky fault finders, it can make for a pretty miserable experience. And the same can be said of employers who who are just brutal bosses to their employees and just showing up to work each day is not fun at all. Now take it to another level. Take it to another level where the temperament of the one in charge is unjust, brutal, and there's no way of escape. There's no off switch. Where the person in charge is ruling and reigning over your life 24 hours a day, and there's no way out. And this was the reality of many slaves in the Roman Empire back in the day. Slavery back then was different from the atrocious history of slavery in America based on evil racism, but still, it was brutal nonetheless. People, maybe 25% of the population, were often born into slavery, taken as prisoners of war, sold themselves in slavery to pay off debt, and a variety of other reasons. Some of them could find themselves with pleasant masters, but many of them found themselves serving wicked and unrelenting masters. And some of the slaves, as you may know from in the New Testament, were believers, and they were part of these variety of house churches. And from time to time, the apostles would address these slaves in the letters you've read, like this morning. What message would they give them? Was it a message of revolt? Was it a message of try to escape or mobilization or activism? Was that, was that the message? No, 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 no. So what was the message that the apostles gave the slaves in the early church? And before we look at the message given to them who suffered unjustly, I want to bring you into the conversation. When something has happened to you that is unfair or unjust, or maybe someone in his authority is just clamping down on you in critical ways, what is your response? Is it your tendency to fight back, to argue for your rights, to gather a coalition to build your case? I mean, we're, we're good Americans, right? When someone starts messing with us, we just gear up. We mobilize. We're ready to fight for our rights. We're ready to call the lawyer. We're ready to get going. We're Americans. Don't mess with us. So what's the message in the New Testament? And I think the message, the slaves suffering unjustly, could have a crossover 
to our own experience. I mean, it's not going to be as dire as what they were facing, but the truth of God's Word is just appropriate. So let's take a look at 1 Peter 2, the Scripture that was read to us previously. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18-25. through 25, Peter's encouraging the church to press on in a very difficult time of trials and tribulation. Maybe it was persecution of oppression from the government or the experience of being a slave under unjust rulers. But to help us stay organized this morning, this is where we're going to go. And this, this message is going to have far more bearing on your life than you think at this moment. You just wait. The three things we're going to look at today, we're going to look at suffering and submission, suffering and calling, suffering and the suffering servant. Suffering and submission, suffering and calling, and suffering and the suffering servant. Let's start with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. It's a very countercultural command to be submissive to your masters with all respect. Why doesn't Peter call for a rebellion or an escape plan or mobilizing the church to take on the institution of slavery? What's the deal, Peter? What's the deal? Overturn society. Well, keep in mind in this context that the church was a small, fledgling, and ostracized group of people. Eventually, Christianity would grow and not only overturn slavery, but also the whole Roman Empire. But at this time, the word on the streets that Christians were ornery and not like the rest of the Roman citizens. Perhaps these Christians had a little insurrection philosophy and any hint of rebellion would soon be squelched. So Peter goes against all that and he calls the slaves within the body of Christ to be submissive to their masters with respect and even to those masters who are unreasonable. Why would he say that? Look at verse 19. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Once again, keep in context. This is the first century slavery, different from the atrocious evil in our country. And part of the motivation that Peter here gives these slaves in the first century is to be submissive to their unjust masters because it pleases God. Did you see verse 19? Verse 19, look at it again. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God. Which means that they are to be fully aware of God in their situation and to submit, and we were told that that finds favor with God. Once again, let's do a little connection to our submission when we're dealing with unreasonable and evil authorities. We never go along with evil, we never go along with sin, but we can still be submissive to those who are in charge. And the reason why we can do that is that we can be fully aware of the reality of God in our situation. We can be fully aware of the reality of God in our situation. Think about some of the people in your life right now that you're dealing with that is harsh and difficult people. Maybe it's your spouse, for real. You maybe can live with someone that's very difficult to live with. And you're wondering, how can you deal with them? How can you endure their criticism? 
And what Peter's getting at is you can be fully aware of God in your situation. And one of the things I'm going to tell you you're not going to like because I don't like when people say it to me, but I'm going to tell you this. You cannot control unreasonable people, but you can control your response. Do you believe that? You cannot control unreasonable people, but you can control your response. That's really hard for me. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can respond with grace and respect. And so far, this has been maybe difficult for you to grasp, this concept of submission, even to those authorities that are evil. But it's going to give me more hard because I'm going to connect the idea of submission and suffering with your calling in life. So let's talk about suffering and calling, all right? So look at verse 21. Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. Underline it. For you have been called for this purpose. What, what, what purpose are we talking about? For the purpose of suffering. This call to submission and to suffer is not only counterculture, but it is counter-Christian culture. Most of the preachers on TV will not tell you about this. It is your call to suffer. Suffering is not a detour. Following Christ, we follow Him on the path of suffering. Suffering is not a detour to heaven, but suffering is the path to heaven. And I know you may have your fill of these prosperity, health, and wealth guys that you should be turning off and throwing their books away. But I want to tell you, if I'm reading this right and I'm reading the rest of the New Testament right, it seems that suffering is not a detour to heaven, but suffering is the main path to heaven. Part of our calling is a call to suffer, even suffer unjustly. I'm not making this up. We don't go and seek it out. But the Bible tells us anyone, I mean anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer, even suffer unjustly. I can give you many verses in the Bible, what we just read here, or 2 Timothy 3.12, I can just start exploding verses all over you. But everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will suffer, even unjustly. That's your calling. Now, I only want to press this calling home to you because usually you hear the concept of calling in relation to pastors. When we think about pastors, we think pastors are called men of God, right? God has called us to be a pastor. And when you think about being called into the ministry, pastors make a choice. They make a choice to forego some of the benefits that might be gained from other types of employment. You could say that pastors choose a certain form of suffering. They know what they're getting into, and it's their choice. And so if pastors choose a certain form of suffering, then why do so many pastors quit ministry? Think about this. This is a true stat. Nine out of ten people who graduate from seminary and go into the ministry, they don't retire in the ministry. That means only one out of 10 will graduate from seminary and retire in the ministry. Why? I'm going to tell you why. It's not because of the suffering that they choose. It's because of the suffering that they did not choose. 
It's not because of the suffering that they choose, but the suffering that they did not choose. So there is this choosing. I say, okay, I'm gonna be a pastor. I understand the 24-hour day nature of being on call. I understand the extra family tensions, but that's all fine because I've made a choice and make these sacrifices and I'll suffer in this way. But when people start getting critical of you and plotting against you, that is a form of suffering that you did not choose. You see, I'm fine suffering with what I choose to suffer. But it's when suffering comes my way that I not choose that I'm more prone to bail. Anybody else with me? I can think about those of you in here who volunteer. This is a volunteering bunch. You're always volunteering to do something. You're making a sacrifice of your time and your money. You're choosing a certain form of suffering. But when things start to blow up in your volunteer activities and people are sniping at you and critical of you, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is a suffering that I did not choose. I'm out of here. Same goes with adoptive parents. We're like, all right, I'm going to adopt some kids. Now, if you ever adopt some kids, I'm going to choose a form of suffering. It's called paperwork. Lots of paperwork. Lots of money can be outlaid in adoption and time and energy when you adopt a kid. You go, that is a form of suffering that I choose. But when the kids start acting out, start being critical of the parents, saying, you're not my real mom, you're not my real dad, that is a form of suffering I did not choose. Do you see that? We can all be about the forms of suffering that we choose, but the forms of suffering we do not choose can make us want to quit. It can make us not persevere and not endure. But my brothers and sisters, suffering is part of our calling. And people can say, that's not cool. That seems very passive. That seems like you're just kind of giving in to suffering. But see, here's the deal. My brothers and sisters, We can act that way. We can embrace our calling because we know the suffering servant. That would be Jesus, the suffering servant. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let's look at verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. So Jesus provides an example for you to follow in his steps. This word example is used of of little children who used to trace over the letters in the alphabet as they learn each letter. We are to trace the life of Christ. And we trace the life of Christ by walking in the path of suffering. Think about Jesus. He was in heaven. He left heaven. He entered this sinful world. And not only that, but he gave himself up to death. Not just any death, but death on a cross. And this is the path that Jesus went down, and we are told that he did it for you. And part of the implied logic here is that Christ suffered for you, which resulted in your salvation, and in turn... As you follow the example of Christ down the path of suffering, others may come to faith in Jesus. When Christians react to unjust suffering in a way that is the exact opposite of the way of the world, exact opposite, the world takes notice and they want to know more. 
Well, we are told that the church expands and grows because of the blood of the martyrs. Do you know that? You see a place that is unreached. How are they going to be reached? Well, often it's going to be reached by missionaries. How are the missionaries going to reach it? Often by one by one by one dying. They're not going in there to conquer militarily. They're not there to fight back. But the ear to walk with Christ in this form of suffering, fallen example, and many of them lose their life, and what happens? People start to be converted and saved. That is not a popular message. Anybody want to send their sons and daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, off to the field following Christ in his examples, and yet we know it is through the blood of the martyrs. The people are saved. Amazing. Think about all the apostles. Most of them, except for one, all martyred. Well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I know this is a really positive message. I know you're really excited about this. Verses 22 and 23. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Okay, we're following the example of Christ, but obviously we know that there is a distinction between us and Christ. He was perfect and we are not. And Peter displays this by flashing back to Isaiah 53 where Jesus is portrayed as the suffering servant. The suffering servant was sinless and never deceitful and yet... The perfect one was reviled and suffered. And what does it say? He says, he did not revile or utter threats in return. He was criticized, abused, and yet he did not return it. It says that he kept his mouth shut. Of all the people who've ever lived, who could complain about unjust suffering and strike back and lash out, it was Jesus, but he didn't. And in your mind, this may appear powerless. This may appear passive. But Jesus knew something that maybe the rest of the world did not know at that time. And it's what we see in verse 23. The very end, it says that he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. Rather than defend himself or strike back, Jesus was waiting patiently for justice. He knew that God the Father would deal with his oppressors at the proper time, so he entrusted himself to the Father. In a sense, Jesus was saying, Father, I'm going to let you fight my battle. I'm going to the cross. You deal with them. You see, sometimes when we find ourselves under criticism of others or, the, or this battle, we have the option. We have a couple of options. I feel like you have two options here, and I'm going to give you a third, which is the right one. But when someone is going off on you, the natural tendency was to go back at them, to attack back, to be critical back. You have this anger. You say, I'm going to vent my anger. It is my feelings, and so I'm going to vent my anger. Now, the other option, which is very critical, you know, we really criticize this option, is I hold my anger in. I'm just going to let it build up. I'm not going to strike back. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to hold it in. But these two ways are man-centered and worldly ways of dealing with criticism. Because what we have with Christ 
is he's releasing it and he's committing it to the Lord. He's not holding it in, right? He's not venting back on there. He's saying, release and commit to the Lord. Can you imagine in some of your situations and some of the people you're dealing with, rather than striking or holding it in, you go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, here's the situation. I'm going to release it to you. I'm going to commit it to you. I'm going to let you do what you want to do. That is a Holy Spirit-empowered option. That is a right option that you can choose to take. But if you're like me, you're ready to strike or you're going to hold it in. Release and commit. Release and commit. Keep going. Finish it up this way. Verses 24 and 25. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We were like these straying sheep, but, but Christ died to bring us back to our shepherd and guardian of our souls. On the cross, He was bearing our sins in His body. And the Father was pouring out His wrath on the Son that we might get forgiveness and grace. And it says we've been healed from the sickness of our sin by His wounds. But I want you to get this. Not only are you to follow the example of Christ, but the Bible says that you have the power to follow Him. Look at verse 24 again. It says, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, here it is, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ provides not only healing from our sin-filled lives, but also power to live righteously. Power to walk in the path of suffering even when we suffered unjustly. You are not destined to always give sinful responses. It's not your destiny when someone is coming at you to go right back at it. That is not your destiny. Because we have died to sin and we now have the ability and the power to respond in righteousness. We can submit to unjust authorities because we know it pleases the Lord. And we can embrace our calling because we're walking in the footsteps of Christ. And we can release, release this drama that we may be dealing with in our lives and just release it all the Lord and entrust our souls to the faithful judge. I really want you to Think about what we're talking about. It's like, whoa, it's like a, on another level of something we don't even think about on a daily. It's like on another level of how we don't, we don't embrace this. This is not going to be in your TV shows. This is not going to be in your movies. This is not going to be in the books you read. Unless you're reading this book, you're not going to find it. So press it into your life right now and think about it. And I'm going to ask you straight up. When you are getting pressed, when people are coming at you, are you more prone to endure or mobilize? Are you more prone to endure or mobilize? When other people show their intolerance towards you because you're walk with Christ, are you more prone to endure it or to mobilize and fight back? When things come at us as individuals, as in church, 
It seems that if, I, if I'm understanding Christians right, and maybe, maybe I misunderstand Christians, but let's say a lot of the Christians that I seem to see out in the world on social media, it seems that a lot of the Christians I follow, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're doing with this, because most of you aren't on the social media, but, but it seems that when Christians are backed into the corner for their faith, Christians come out swinging. All right, like, what? You're coming against me? I'm going I'm to come out swinging. So, so this is what happens. The world punches Christians, and we punch back even harder. Forget all this turn-in-the-cheek business. No, we want revenge. So what happens to us, we get punched, and then we get riled up politically We're ready to call the lawyer. We're ready to fight for our rights. We're ready to take it through the court system. And the world looks on and is like, oh, those Christians are just acting like us. And if we're acting just like the world, they're not drawn to the gospel because we're just like them. And you want to push back and say, oh, pastor, but look at all the stuff that's happened to the church. Look at the church of America. Look what the government's doing to us. Look what our neighbor, look, read the Bible. What did Jesus do? He kept his mouth shut. You go, but what about this situation? What about this? I'm just telling you that we're supposed to follow in his path. And you may wonder, why, are, why is a revival breaking out? It could be because the church is acting like the world. And when we act like the world, not just in entertainment and everything else, but in the attitude of the world, maybe people aren't going to come to Christ. Think of it this way. When was the last time you really took it on the chin for the cause of Christ? When was the last time you just took it? You just took it on the chin for the cause of Christ. Have you ever (laughs) taken it on the chin for the cause of Christ? Or is it all about your rights? There's this woman, 26 years, she's been an owner of a fast food restaurant. She's a manager. And she says, fast food restaurant, if you ever worked fast food restaurant, can be one of the worst jobs in America. Especially when people are ordering in the drive-thru. They'll say stuff on there, unbelievable. She says she's been ridiculed by customers. She's been cursed at, verbally abused, stolen from, and lied to. And she says, it's just the nature of the job. But get this, what she does when these things are coming at her, you know how she responds? She responds with a free meal. Like, why would she do that? Why don't she just fight back, go after them? You see, not only does she take the abuse, but in turn, she blesses. And that sounds a lot like Jesus. I know one of the things we like to say all the time is, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We scratch our heads and we go, what would Jesus do in this situation? How about WDJD? What did he do? What did Jesus do? Well, right here, he kept his mouth shut. He did not fire back. He did not strike back. He entrusted his life to the Father. He gave up his personal rights. He's like, God, you do whatever you want to do. I'm going to leave it with you. And he did this for your salvation. And maybe, just maybe, if we follow in his footsteps and we respond the exact opposite the world respond, just maybe, we see people come to faith in Christ. 
Not in the revival tent, but on the path of suffering. We may see people come to faith in Jesus as we walk in His footsteps by His power. Because that is the path that He walked for our salvation. And by His grace, we walk the same path. Perhaps others will come to faith in Christ. And just maybe, revival would happen in America, not through prosperity, but through our suffering. Just maybe, America would repent and put their faith in Jesus. Not because we're elite, because we are low and we're ready to walk that path of suffering even unto death. And maybe it's the blood of the martyrs in America that will cause America to repent and put their faith in Jesus. Just maybe. Let's follow our suffering servant. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.